before you is some chocolate? It looks great. Just these tasty little trapezoidal prisms of white chocolate with red flecks in them. You remember being told that they're actually called truffles. Not the mushroom that they use pigs to find, but some sort of fancy chocolates. They certainly look fancy. Like maybe they would go good with some champagne. Probably not a red wine, more of a white wine, at the very least. Maybe cheese, like a grilled cheese sandwich, paired with a sparkling chilled white wine? Hmm, yeah, that would probably work. With some tomato soup to dip in it too. The sandwich, not the chocolate. Can chocolate just be a meal all by itself? Well, that depends on how you frame it. Today on the How You Frame It podcast, we have artist Becca Larson. Becca is a chocolatier and natural dye enthusiast residing at the base of beautiful Mount Shasta, California. Today, in this episode, she talks about how she was guided by her parents into an artistic and profitable profession, creating clothing logically and creatively, and also revitalizing rural areas because she wants to buy that bakery in Weed, California, which is 20 minutes away from Mount Shasta. She also talks about, unfortunately, how she's been fat shamed while she's selling chocolate and She also mentions a little bit about cooking food in a food desert. And if you're ready to learn about making truffles yourself, you can go ahead and go to her website for the Truffle Time Roadmap. It's really fun to read, even if you're not going to try to make truffles truffles yourself. It's super interesting. And if you're a forever learner like me, I think you'll like it too. All right, everyone. So welcome to a space where all art is inclusive, accessible, and meaningful, no matter how you frame it. Please enjoy my episode with Becca Larson. Today on the How You Frame It podcast, we have artist Becca Larson. Becca is an artisan truffle maker, graphic designer, and even had her own apparel company for a while. One of her goals is that she's trying to bring more flavor diversity to rural Siskiyou County. Welcome to the How You Frame It podcast, Becca. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for spending an hour with us today. So if you could set the scene where you are right now and maybe in your headspace or, you know, your physical space, if you feel like sharing. Sure. Um, I'm in Weed, California, um, up at the tippy tippy top of the state. There's, you know, not much here, but railroads and forest, I guess. Um, <laughs> currently living at my in-laws house because we had a house fire, uh, my house. So things are a little bit shaken up for me, um, but everything's uh, going to be fine. And, you know, I've got a lot going on in my brain, my headspace, and um, trying to bounce back and readjust and figure out how to go forward and still be productive, I guess. Yes, and you um, have lived here for how long? I've lived like in, in Weed um, for just about three years. Um, 
basically three years in October. Um, grew up in uh, Northern California and then moved to Oregon for a little while, came back um, down here, mostly to be close to uh, my husband's family because they are a big help with our kid. All right. That's great. And you have one adorable kid. Yep. Yes. My pride and joy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite... Well, I guess let's start off with, can we talk a little bit more about how you decided that the life of an artist was for you? Oh, I have always, always wanted to be an artist. And I, as far as I understand, this is a pretty common theme among artists, but I tell my parents I want to be an artist when I grow up and dad says, okay, cool. What are you going to do for a living? What are you going to do to make money? And as a parent now, I'm reframing that conversation and like, why didn't he guide me in a direction that was artistic and profitable? Why didn't he say, mm. great, graphic design is a good choice, or you could be an architect, mm -hmm. or it was always mm -hmm. like, oh, you should go into marketing because that's what he did. And um, okay. for a tech company though, so mm -hmm. I, I didn't understand how artistic that could be. Although it's, it's, it is and it isn't. I mean, I, I do marketing for my business now and right. it's actually something I really do enjoy and, um, advertising, I think would have been a more artistic avenue for that. I think that my dad's paradigm as he was an engineer, as an engineer, I want to be an artist meant a painter. And that okay. was all that he could wrap his head around. And he had a good friend that he grew up with who was a, is a, an artist, a painter, um, did watercolors mm -hmm. for a long time. And then I think has evolved into acrylics. And I think my dad just saw a friend struggling financially for their entire adult life and okay. didn't think that that was, you know, what he had envisioned for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a guidance instead of like, no, that's a hobby would have really mm -hmm. been a lot uh, more beneficial, I think. So yeah, one of the, one of the artists Was your mom the same too? Not really. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. Like, so she, she died in 2005. So just before mm. I turned 21. Mm. And she wasn't really around for my adulthood. Although before she died, it was when I started getting into fashion design and she was actually really supportive of that. And, you know, she really picked up on my enthusiasm and uh, it was kind of eye opening for her to to learn some of the nuances when, you know, she was very like, I don't need, you know, stuff and clothes and mm -hmm. she wasn't materialistic mm -hmm. at all. But uh, I remember one experience in particular, we were in Boston when I was, I guess it was just, just before she passed away. So I don't know, maybe 19 or 20. And, mm -hmm. um, we were just shopping. Yeah. Just seeing it click for her, why I was so excited about fashion, um, was, it was just really interesting. And that's something I think about from time to time, but yeah, she, she wasn't as like, know that art is in a career mm. as my dad has been and yeah I don't know turns out it's uh, hard to start your own apparel line with no money uh, so uh, <laughs> and you know 
What just kind like, of apparel was it? My goal was to do, um, it was ready to wear, eco-conscious. I used a lot of organics, hemp, uh, bamboo, things like that. Yeah. But, you know, the my dad's voice and the engineer in me was uh, really stifling to my uh, creative process. And ultimately, fashion design became... Like, I, I just was stuck. I wasn't creative. I wasn't doing anything new or different or out there. And because I just kept thinking about how much does this cost to make? And am I capable personally, right. am I personally capable of sewing this myself? And so it just made everything boring and basic. And I mean, to me, like, it was cute. Like, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I did a couple of runway shows uh, when I was living in Portland and did sell a little bit through um, the boutique I was working at at the time called Union Rose. They stock all local designers and um, handmade cool. things like that. And the my boss there, Rita, was really really supportive of me uh, as a fledgling designer, and so that was that was awesome. It's empowering and. You know, all of the things leading up to uh, actually selling the stuff and having a business, I did, I, I really enjoyed the, the design process and making the line sheets and the photo shoots and the fashion shows and the styling and all of that. But then actually getting down to the nitty gritty of, you know, grading the patterns to different sizes and cutting them and sewing them and getting them in stores on deadlines and it just, it's too much for one person to do. Right. It's a lot. It's, it's a team, right? It, yeah, it's huge. It's and worth. I am like kind of antisocial and had no money. So it, I wasn't like I could partner up with other people that were doing the same thing or ask for favors or do trades or anything like that. Because I, I don't know. I feel like I should be able to do things by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I did, I did work with one sewer to do some of my pieces but yeah it's I mean between fabric trying to use you know eco-conscious fabrics those are just more expensive and harder to come by less selection and then you know actually getting the stuff made it just it was cost prohibitive so I um kind of left that in Portland I guess (laughs) when I moved back down here you left your fashion in Portland yeah well I guess I have this question later on in the in the interview, but I'll just ask it now. Mm-hmm. So if money was no object, what would you purchase? Would you put it towards back towards your fashion or would it be something else entirely now? No, not anymore. Um, I am trying to buy the entire town of weed. <laughs> 100% seriously. Really? There is, there's a old bakery that I've looked at a couple of times with my brother. Um, he's in commercial it's real downtown? estate. What's that? Yeah. Downtown. The, the weed bakery on main street. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was a functional bakery until 2011 i want to say okay this is before the fires right the bulls fire yeah 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 um like a while before that Mm -hmm. it's a huge space and it needs a ton of work i just feel really called to make that space something again because weed is a ghost town and it's really really sad to me Because it's really cute. People stop here on their way up and down Mm -hmm. I-5 just to take a picture with the sign. Because they think it's Mm -hmm. funny. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
and then they can't do or buy anything because there's right. nothing in town. Uh, there's just a bunch of vacant buildings. Yep. Bigfoot shirt. <laughs> You're done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I want to, I want to buy this building. I want to fix it up. And ideally I want to run it like a co-op for small food businesses like myself. Um, there's mm-hmm. a couple of people that I've spoken with in the area that have expressed some interest, no commitment um, to doing something like that. Potentially um, one of our local coffee roasters and a um, a cupcake baker. So if I could have, um, you know, designated spaces for different food businesses, have a commercial kitchen that people can rent either hourly or like two days a week or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. because that's really, really lacking here in the county. It is. And I also want to teach classes both in chocolate making, in food business, in, yeah, dealing with the the local authorities and starting a food business. Do you think talking to people through your art is easier for you, like, rather than just casual social? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, same. You know, at the farmer's markets that I do, I'm super, it's super easy for me to chat with people. And I don't know, it's, it's almost like business me or artist me or farmer's market me is a different person. It's a character that I can put on and it's, I can just, yeah, I, I don't have the same hangups or consequences or whatever. Although I still like put my foot in my mouth just constantly. <laughs> and then I'm still like blabbing as people are walking away because I'm just like tripping over my words and like trying to correct and like overcompensating and just like blah 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 and I'm like hey never mind bye (laughs) you just always sound enthusiastic to me yeah I I don't know I think maybe I'm just a good public speaker or something although I haven't like ever done like speeches I I don't know (laughs) professional orator yeah (laughs) pretty much (laughs) But yeah, I, mean, I I really love doing the farmers markets. I've met so many people um, and have had just really interesting little bite-sized conversations with people and learned different things and both about my own industry or people's experience with chocolate or food in general. And I've learned all about all the different diets and why people can't have chocolate. Right. Which wow. I think is a load of garbage. I don't know. I personally would rather be fat and get to eat chocolate. It's, I mean, Absolutely. that's a, a choice that I am <laughs> willing to make. But yeah, um, for sure, I, I think that you know you can fit chocolate into any diet if you yeah if you really wanted to. I mean, as long as you don't like have like <laughs> chocolate you know, is all chocolate food. all day long. It's not like you know you're not asking them to have like chocolate drink chocolate. I'm not. I mean, I side so in a chocolate main course. Like, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Um, but I, I no, saw no a, a three-piece box of chocolate. That's like not going to ruin your I've diet. I've seen it. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's really cute. It's like three truffles, and share them mm-hmm. with a friend. Like, cut one in half. Like, I don't. <laughs> but right. I don't know. I'm just. I'm so tired of hearing people tell me, effectively, that you know the worst thing in the world is for them to look like me. Oh man. And. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't want to hear about your diet. I don't care. If you don't want what I'm selling, move along. You know, be sad with your salad. That's your life choice. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's true. I mean, I, um, there's all kinds of food in the world and you can do whatever you yeah. want. You don't have to take the time. Why would you take the energy to just go up to tell you that? You yeah. Know? I mean, I've, I've had people say awful things walking by <sighs> my booth and like really like skinny old ladies, not old, older than us, but you know, yeah. like, oh God, that's just what my ass needs or like awful things <laughs> like walking by and like, excuse me, like <laughs> I put my heart and soul into making this craft that's so rude. Like beautiful, delicious art. <laughs> like, what, why do you need to do that? Just walk on by. Like, I don't come to where yeah. you work and, you know, say stuff like that, but I don't know. Right. I'm just so high and mighty above chocolate. Like, makes no sense. I know. You're not. I know. Well, I'm glad you make your chocolate. <laughs> it makes me feel really happy. Um, and it made my mom feel really happy. I bought a penguin from you yeah. during Christmas time. Or not a, I bought like four or five. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I remember. It, I know. I just And then you're like, buy one, get one. I was like, oh God, I just got to add some more. Why not? Yeah. And then pretty soon my house is filled with penguins. And then it's just so beautiful. I think usually my mom won't look at her chocolate before I give it to her. Like if it's seeds, we were talking about seeds sure. earlier. She's like, oh, it's nice. And then she'll just plop it in her mouth. Like, we just stared at your chocolate for a long time before we consumed it, and then we consumed it. So, like, it was two experiences for us. One for our eyeballs, and then one for our mouths, you know? I love hearing tongues. that. Yeah. yeah. And people yeah, always tell great. me, oh, it's it's too beautiful to eat. And I'm like, well, I'm on Instagram. Just, you know, you can look right. at it before, during, and after. Mm-hmm. And But you should eat it. I highly recommend it. That's what it's there for. They're delicious. Oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's honestly hard to let it go, I guess, sometimes because you're like, this was a beautiful experience. But I think that's why I want, really wanted you to be on this uh, podcast episode because I wanted to ask you how you felt about art that wasn't lasting, you know, in its physical form. That's really interesting. How do you feel about that? I hadn't even thought about it like that. Like I said, I'm on Instagram and I have made a lot of effort in the past year to get really good at product photography additionally and I don't I don't know I don't really think of my truffles as art per se I mean they are they're Mm -hmm. artistic they're beautiful and Mm -hmm. but they are meant to be eaten and enjoyed they're not Mm -hmm. meant to sit on a shelf Mm -hmm. like I have had kind of a hard time wrapping my head around ephemeral art Mm -hmm. in the past like we we studied Andy Goldsworthy is that his name in college he okay he does these things with like leaves in the forest and mm-hmm. then it's just gone. Right. And to me that, that was kind of hard to get on board with. Right. But I mean, it, it it's cool in its own right. I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't really thought about it in that. Yeah. In that way. I mean, the concept of time is, you know, relative or whatever. So technically everything's decaying. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But, you know, my, my goal is to give people a moment of bliss. And Mm -hmm. when people eat their chocolate right away at the farmer's market and then like stop in their tracks and groan and like their eyes roll back in their head and they turn around and look at me (laughs) and they're like, oh my God, this is really good. Like to me, that's just like the best compliment. And to the point where when people don't do that, I'm like excuse me, you forgot part of the process. (laughs) You need to tell me how good it is. I don't know. I I need that validation sometimes. Uh, But it's funny because I I don't eat my own truffles all that often because Mm -hmm. 
you know, I have plenty that aren't perfect that I keep as, you know, samples or give yeah. to my family or whatever, but it's, there's a lot. And so I'm not just like chowing down on them all the time. Every once in a while, when I do go for one, I'm like, oh shit, these are really good. <laughs> like, I kind of forget sometimes because it's, uh, it, it, it'll be long enough in between that. Yeah. It, 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 you know, I remember. Yeah. What do you think makes, makes you unique as an artist in terms of your chocolate or anything else? Oh man. Um, because I have my own opinions, but I want to hear about yeah. you. About yourself. Well, I'm one of these people who has major, major imposter syndrome. I don't think I'm mm. doing anything different, new or unique. I make a good product and it's beautiful, but I have not, I haven't invented any of the decoration techniques I use. I haven't, I don't know. I would, I would say that my, my flavor combinations are, you know, while they're not everyday ones that you see all the time, they're not unique to me. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I'm unique in the area in this yeah, part definitely. of the state. There's nobody else doing what I'm doing. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, I, I think that I fill a little bit of a, a void and people clearly like what I'm doing. They come back to me over and over and over again. And one of my mantras that I have to tell myself to keep going is that people like what I'm doing and I have loyal customers, mm -hmm. it, you know, otherwise it's really time consuming to do what I do. And it's absolutely a labor, labor of love. And it gets frustrating sometimes when they don't turn out right. Or I have a, a batch go wonky and I really needed mm -hmm. them for this event tomorrow or whatever. And I don't have time to make more and, Oh, well, I guess, you know, I'm not going to have that flavor today. Right. Uh, what makes me unique? I don't know. I guess you're, I mean, for me personally, I'm really impressed about how many skills go into it. You're just not just making chocolate. It's a little scientific. You have to be very organized. And your product photography is absolutely stunning. Thank you. And then um, the way that you actually... The way that you post on social media is also very calculated, too. I can tell that it's with intention, and I think that's what makes you very special. Um, you're kind of the whole package. It's just crazy running a business by yourself. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it's it's that way for any business, but running a business where you have to essentially manufacture um, a high-quality artisan product and then market it and sell it, and it's just me. I know that there are a ton of things that I'm not doing that I want to be doing. Um, but yeah, in addition to actually making this stuff, I, I spend a lot of time educating myself mm -hmm. on yeah marketing, on social media, on photography, on sales and all sorts of things, web design, packaging, mm -hmm you know, I'm always trying to improve my craft and it's, it's actually kind of a, a weird, I'm in a weird place in, in my business that my artistic outlet has become work. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's not as artistic as it could be, or not as artistically fulfilling as it could be, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to make more flavors and different designs and things like that all the time, but at some point I have to make, you know, consistently six flavors to fill up my six pack uh, or six piece assortment and that 
a food business makes the the artistry a little bit trickier because when I am selling a packaged product, I have to have a label that says what's in it. And so I can't just like adjust my recipe one week to the next. And I can't just be like, oh, well, you know, this week it's got these flavors and this week it's got this flavors. I have to go in and print out a new label. You know, I, I do still try to rotate um, a new flavor in about once a month. But then now, two years into my business, I have customers that want particular flavors. Mm-hmm. And, oh, when is the vanilla bean creme brulee coming back? I'm like, well, I mean, that's kind of my Valentine's mm-hmm. Day flavor, but I guess I can make it again in the middle of the summer since a couple of people have asked for it now. Um, or, mm-hmm. oh. so. <laughs> so what's your dream flavor then? Like dream flavor pack, I guess. I don't know. I have had kind of this fantasy of owning a chocolate shop called the Chocolate Bar, and all of the truffles are <laughs> cocktail um, Love it. influenced or inspired, Love it. Um, and they all have alcohol in them. I like alcohol in my chocolate, and um, I haven't really been able to get before, to play yeah. with that um, as much because, you know, rules and stuff, and mm-hmm. ugh, like... Like, just let me be, okay? Um, but right. um, I think that for Father's Day, so in a, gotta start making them like right now. Um, I want to do a bacon, bourbon, and what, maple bacon, bourbon, caramel, I think. Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, maybe I'll yeah. go do a batch of that when we're done with this. That sounds good. Sounds really good. That's nice. all the things. Um, <laughs> A girl up in Wairika who I met at one of the pop-ups I did up there, and she and her partner, I don't know, person she was with, um, gave me all these incredible flavor ideas that I was just like, whoa, that'd be awesome. And I, so I have this whole mm-hmm. list of things. But living where we do, um, which is technically considered a food desert, uh, it's tricky to get a hold of ingredients. And, you know, shipping... Yeah things is expensive. Um, I can't just Mm -hmm. go to the store and get the chocolate that I use. I have to get it shipped in. Mm -hmm. The varieties of produce that we have are really limited, Mm -hmm. just like all of the things. And so I'll go to the grocery store and just wander around and see what there is. Yeah. And some of that influences some of my flavors. I was able to find pomegranate mm-hmm. molasses in the international section. And so um, I make a pomegranate rose now. Um, but I think I had to buy the rose water online. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, space is limited. So I, I can't buy like these. They make these like, a, I don't know if they're a kilo of fruit puree, but it comes frozen. And I don't have that much space in my freezer to keep like all these different things and yeah and Mm -hmm. as a small business my my buying power is really limited and yeah but I'm you know I'm working on it and doing what I can have you always been um one to take on large tasks like this endeavors (laughs) I don't know (laughs) it's so funny to hear other people talk about me or describe me or ask you know, questions like that, because 
I don't see myself like that at all. Mm-hmm. And large tasks. Right. I mean, yeah, it is. It must be. Yeah. Because, you know, I get a lot done, but I definitely view myself as lazy. And, I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I watch a lot of TV. And I poke at my phone a lot. Um, and then I just managed to pull it all out in the end. And frantically, I guess. But, you know, again, that goes back to the all the things that I could be doing that I'm not. Or just like... I don't know. Uh, it's a lot of little ones, I guess. And then have I always taken right? on big tasks? <laughs> yeah, like large endeavors or like a pursuit. Uh-huh. I guess it all depends on how you frame it. Um, but it's like I also do a lot of things, and people are like, "How do you get so much done?" It's just my way of life, personally. But um, I feel like for our listeners, they'd maybe like to know like how you how you approach it, like with what intention, like or like with um, what perspective, like this is going to be not easy, but like manageable. Like, how do you feel about it when you first start something? I write a lot of lists, to-do lists. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to schedule things out and then I, you know, ignore those schedules and do things however I want to anyway. Um, But I, I do think that time management is something that I both am really good at and really terrible at simultaneously somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I know that, you know, while my chocolate is cooling down to get to the right temperature, I can fit in this other small task and I kind of keep all the plates spinning maybe, I guess. Yeah. And, or, you know, while this is happening, I can go post on social media real quick or yeah. While, while things are, you know, setting up and cooling in the fridge, I can put stickers on the boxes and it is a lot of little tasks. They all just kind of fit together in this, weird little puzzle I guess but yeah I'm, I've I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit I guess I mm-hmm. have always wanted to own my own business did you play business as a kid oh yeah um yeah my my brother and I would like paint rocks and try to like sell them to the neighbors walking by and like I don't no one wants that like what were we thinking like I don't know <laughs> I probably would have bought one. Yeah, um, I think we we forgot to <laughs> learn how to play, you know, merchandising, um, buy planning, <laughs> yeah, market research. We didn't do that. <laughs> Which again, funny. Baby's first market research. What's that? Oh yeah. <laughs> Baby's first market research. Yeah, but yeah, I was always wanting to sell things and have a shop, and I worked at a, a coffee shop and brew pub when I was in college and I dreamed of owning a coffee shop and I was going to also sell uh, my clothes there that I was designing. And I mean, that's still not, not part of my dream. I mean, if I open up a, Mm -hmm. when I open up (laughs) a shop here in town, I probably will have, you know, an espresso bar and I, I, you know, if I have a shop, I can sell whatever I want. I can make Mm -hmm. things all day long. And yeah, that, I guess maybe that comes back to trying to monetize my, my art and, you know, that my dad always wanted me to. So it's, I don't know. And also if you're making things, 
they have to go somewhere. And I would much rather yeah. people um, enjoy them than have them uh, piling up on every single surface in my house. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> my husband is also an artist. He um, does mm -hmm. paintings. And so there's not room for me to do visual art, even if I wanted to. <laughs> so, yeah. Although I did have a, a lot of fun doing some collage work. That was a, something that I really didn't, didn't think, I don't know, it wasn't something that I, that I really thought of when I think of art. And then I think there was, we were studying some, some artist or we were assigned a project and um, I really took to that. So I went to uh, American River College in Sacramento for um, a short period nice. of time. And yeah. one of the classes that I took, which I think was a printmaking class, there was a closet, a huge closet full of vintage magazines. Ooh. And they had like sunset magazines from the sixties and seventies. And like, I just did not do anything in that class besides flip through these magazines. And I was like, well, this is what I'm doing now. And <laughs> that's part of the reason it took me 10 years to finish college. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations. You did it. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I did. Those were really cool magazines. I should have, um, taken a lot more of those home with me than I did. My next question literally was, <laughs> what sort of art regrets do you have? And that's literally answering Stealing it. magazines from college? Right? Yeah. You could have. What kind of art regrets do I have? I don't know. It's it's weird because one of the one of the things that you, you always go back to is if I had made different decisions, I'd be in a different place. And that's absolutely the case. But I... Out of high school, I went to UCLA for two quarters. I was going to study psychology. I, you know, had to get out of Sacramento and I wanted to go to LA. LA is cool. That's where everything's happening, all the music. And, and then I never went to a show in mm -hmm. LA. I, I mean, that's not true. There were a couple on campus I went to, but I didn't do LA. I didn't fit in there. I didn't like it. I, it was not the right place for me. So I came home uh, after, you know, less than a year and decided I wanted to go to art school. And at the time, I think one of my roommates was art in art school at, at UCLA um, in the art department. And they there was something like, if you, you're only allowed to apply once. And if you don't get in, that's it. You cannot apply uh -huh. again. So that was really intimidating for me. Yeah. And I, I started taking some, I think that's, UCLA was where I first decided that I wanted to do fashion design. There was some magazine I was looking at, and there was a Oscar De La Renta ad, I think. I may even still have it. And it just, I don't, I don't know how to describe this feeling. It made my heart swell, and, like, it just was so, like, so beautiful. And, like, I wanted to do that. And I used to tell people, I want to be... Um, who are you wearing? You know, like on the mm -hmm. red carpet, they say, who are you wearing? Mm -hmm. I never became a couture designer. I am too logical for that. I don't know. I never applied to art school. Mm. That is one of my biggest regrets. Uh, I had, I guess, such a fear of rejection that I just didn't even do it. I, um, I toured um, RISD uh, in Rhode Island mm -hmm. and was looking at the work that their 
students were doing their, you know, even their freshman students in the fashion department. And I was like, I could, I can't do that. That's, I'm not at that level. Mm. It's, you know, looking back, it's like, of course you weren't at that level. You didn't take that class. Right. Like, like, but showing them that you had some kind of artistic ability and passion and comp- capacity to learn potential, any of that is what the application process is about. But, you know, the, the year that I toured that school, they told me that, oh yeah, we just accepted our first fashion transfer ever. Hmm. One person. Wow. We accepted wow. one. Um, and I was like, well, like... This is just, it's too, why would I be number two? Like, why Mm. me? And, you know, I've looked back at some of the work that I was preparing for applications and it's totally fine. It's like absolutely adequate for, you know, a 19 year old trying to transfer to the fashion department. I think either applying to art school right out of high school or actually getting it together and applying to transfer somewhere mm. are kind of my, my biggest regrets in, in art. I mean, I, I ultimately finished my degree at UC Davis. They have a design department. Um, for a long time, I didn't even consider UC Davis because their fashion program was part of the design program. Mm-hmm. It was like an emphasis or something. And all the other UCs were confusing too, because it was everything was called fashion merchandising. And I was like, I don't want to do merchandising. I want to do design. Mm -hmm. Turns out, guess what? I do want to do merchandising after, (laughs) you know, years and years in the industry and retail and understanding what merchandising actually is in the fashion department or in the field. I do want to do that. I want to do by planning and, you know, telling the designer what pieces we need and yeah. Turns out I actually like retail math a lot. Wow. Um, I, I want to, I applied to be a buyer um, at a bunch of different brands when I was pregnant. Hmm. That didn't pan out. Um, also, I was very, very, very pregnant when I interviewed. Hmm. And, you know, they probably took one look at me and were like, well, as soon as we finish training her, we're going to have to give her maternity leave. So right. that's not an investment we're willing to do. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know, that could be in my head. Maybe I was just terrible in my interview. Way to keep with the positive thinking, Becca. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think knowing what I wanted to do earlier, going for what I al- always knew I wanted to do with more conviction would have put me on a better path or, I don't know, gotten me somewhere earlier in yeah. any event. Do you think that um, ruminating on that, you have made different choices since? Like if you want to do something, you just do it now or you go for it or you go with a little bit more confidence? I definitely, on the whole, am a more confident person than I was, you know, high school, college. Mm-hmm. I mean, just that comes with experience and adulthood and knowing that, you know, what's the worst could, that could happen? I mean, you'll figure it out. Tell me, what was the question again? <laughs> no, I just said, did it just inform super, like, like future decisions? Like, after you thought about it, you're like, oh, I should have. And then maybe I'll behave differently later on, like, when I want to go for something. I suppose. Yeah, I... I don't know. I'm I'm not really like a go-getter necessarily mm. or a I I don't take big risks okay. unless I, I, they're calculated. Yeah. Um I definitely think through things, but I do act whereas I don't know. That also seems like a ridiculous thing coming out of my mouth. I also have major uh what do they call it? executive dysfunction. 
okay. uh, where I cannot get started. I can't do the thing. I have written the list and I can't get started. Hmm. Just do it. Just go do the thing. I'm like, no, I'll do it later. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Do you have any like, advice for anyone who's struggling with that type of thing? I don't know. Not really, because I am actively struggling with it and mm-hmm. I don't really have any good solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, breaking it down into really small manageable pieces that can get done quickly, mm-hmm. I think is good. I, you know, I, I do tell myself like, okay, just do this one little part of the task and then you can go, you know, look at Instagram for a little while or watch some YouTube or something. And often, not always, but many times when I get myself to do the one tiny thing that's quick and easy, then I'm able to do some of the other things that are maybe a little more time consuming. Right. But not always. Yeah. I mean, thinking of chocolate, you have to calculate almost every step of the process, right? And you have to be yeah. pretty patient or at least, you know, let it do its thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of temperature control in the process. And so thing, some things are really time sensitive where... You know, my daughter's calling for me, uh, calling for me from the other room, and I'm like, "Well, actually, no. Right now, my chocolate just got to the right temperature. I have to do, you know, a whole hour's worth of work um, right now, and it can't wait." And so, yeah, I mean, knowing the process well and knowing what other little tasks can fit in the downtime um, really is has been um definitely a learning process but it's yeah. it's good to know now and and knowing which things can wait a little bit or which things really have to be done immediately or like how long i have to wait like is, can i can i rush this part or or not some parts you you can get away with rushing a little bit mm-hmm. and some parts you just have to wait do you think you are okay with oil painting versus acrylic then I've never really done either. Mm-hmm. Oil painting scares me. Um, that just is Same. a huge mess. And I don't know. I've only really ever done watercolor myself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, painting is not, I, I don't know. My brain doesn't work that way. And I watched my husband do his acrylic painting. And it's like all kinds of weird colors <laughs> that it's not going to end up being. And I'm like... Why? Why is that even there? Like, if you're just going to paint over it, I don't understand this. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I, I understand, I grasp that concept more in oil painting, mm-hmm. but that's not what he does. Right. And I, I, it's, no, this base layer isn't going to show through. I don't know what you're doing, but mm-hmm. I have to just, you know, trust the process and then it looks good. So, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think I've always been more of the craft side of art making something that is going to be tangible and useful mm-hmm. i mean i i've done you know visual art also but you know sewing something or knitting or crocheting or could you define your your um definition of craft versus art yeah i mean basically what i what i just said mm-hmm. craft is or even design uh, i don't know Something that's physical and tangible and useful, functional. And I, I certainly don't use 
craft in a disparaging way, mm -hmm. although crafty, I definitely do. <laughs> Add the Y and you're gone. Yeah. Off oh, to, man. You're off to, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's really important to bring a high level of artistry and refinement and quality to any craft that you're making. Craft for craft's sake, it doesn't do it for me. Yeah. And having spent so much time dabbling in different arts and crafts, I am reasonably knowledgeable about a lot of different processes. And when I, it's hard, for, <laughs> it's hard for me to go to craft shows and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> but, you know, everyone has their own way mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there even seems to be a market for a lot of those things yeah. that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole mm -hmm. and I mean on the one hand sorry to be a snob but I kind of am and I, I'm just gonna embrace snob and art and I, I don't know yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard when you know better <laughs> not to be I mean and it's the same in the in the chocolate arena also everybody's making these hot cocoa bombs these days okay but they're using really inferior product uh or chocolate it's not even chocolate it's compound chocolate which is made with different oils than just cocoa um, butter okay it works differently it tastes different it's got a different mouthfeel and it's arguably easier to use for a home um maker and I'm really glad that people are, you know, exploring that and being creative and artistic, but then when the final product is something that just doesn't taste good, and I don't know, I have higher standards for some stuff like that than many people, and I suppose if they're happy with something that's just sugar and palm oil, then, you know, more power to them, I right. guess, but... You know, it's important to me to use high quality ingredients that are that exist in nature. Hmm. And, you know, so I've, I've had someone tell me that my my white chocolate truffles were the best white chocolate they've ever had and explained to them about white chocolate and how all the other white chocolate they've probably had was probably not really chocolate. OK, you legally cannot call most white chocolate chocolate because it has nothing from the cocoa plant in it. Hmm. But the white chocolate that I use, it's just cocoa butter, milk, vanilla, and sugar. That's mm. all. That's all that should be in it. The one that I used when I very, very, very first was making truffles for just Christmas gifts, I eventually read the ingredients and I was like, there's no chocolate in this at all. <laughs> what? What is this? <laughs> I, you know, it took me a while to to actually look at what was in it and... I was shocked. Like it, it didn't even have a little bit. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah. It's an imposter. Chocolate. And, you know, from a reputable brand whose dark chocolate I continued to use for a long time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, so I, I made a switch on that as soon as I could. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. thank you for sharing your story so far. Um, we're wrapping it up. Um, yeah, it's I, been long. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, this is great. This is right on time. We're exactly on time. Um, okay. Yeah, I just, um, I'm going to try asking this question, like I said to the last guest, 
ever since my color theory class, I'm super interested in color now in a different way. And I wanted to ask you, um, when I say the color purple, what memories does that conjure up for you at any time in your life? Ooh, purple. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. As soon as I said that Barney flash into my head, <laughs> no. that is horrible. <laughs> I was not a Barney person. I'm too old for that. Oh God. That's stuck. And the flying purple people eater. It's a peculiar color, at least for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, oh, now also, um, I don't know if you follow, um, Zillow Gone Wild on Instagram. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, so it's, they pull these like crazy, um, Zillow listings that have just, you know, weird features to the houses. And there was one that had just this straight up purple and white kitchen Hmm. and, like the cabinets were purple and it was a really interesting thing to look at for me because my paradigm for something like that was always pink, Hmm. you know, pink and white, like people do that. It's, you know, Barbie or whatever. Donut boxes. But I had never really seen anybody do a purple and white kitchen like that. Mm -hmm. And what kind of purple was it? You know, good, rich lavender. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Not super light, not super pastel, but like a lot of gray in it or a lot of white in it. Not terribly gray, a little, maybe a little bit. I mean, it was definitely purple. It wasn't like a neutral gray that had kind of a purple tinge. It was purple. And yeah, it was just, it it just kind of made me go, huh, that's, I've never seen that before. (laughs) And, and, and there's tons of things I've never seen before, but you have like context for them. And like, yeah, I could see how someone would make that choice or, you know, it is reflective of like a different era or something. And like this purple, it's not a kitchen color. It just, <laughs> I, I think my sister's room was that color when, when she was little, oh. which is fine. I mean, a, you know, little girl's rooms are purple. Yeah. Kitchens are not purple. Right. Super weird. Well, thanks for know. sharing that too. I guess that was that, awesome. That's my purple. That's exciting. <laughs> Okay, well, I think we are just about done. I was wondering okay. if, I guess, what do you hope people feel after hearing this episode? Hmm. I don't know. That... Or maybe understand. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Your journey can take, like, way lots of twists and turns, and you can think you're doing one thing and then end up doing something entirely different. It's, I, I'm actually shocked at how much I spoke about fashion design that was not... <laughs> at all my plan um and i don't know you just have to <laughs> feel it out and yeah. you know i i, I took a, a long time dabbling in different areas to finally come to something that i uh ended up doing professionally i i didn't think i was going to do this either it was <laughs> it i don't know just just kind of happened and i i ran with it and it seems like it's going good so far so stick with it for a little while anyway. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad um, you're able to share this gift with Siskiyou County. (laughs) It's much needed and appreciated. I agree. Like this is, this place we live is so unique and it, it just has so many different, like beautiful nature and a lot of cool things going on. But then there's just a lot of emptiness and vacancy and dilapidation and like really it's a good word sad 
just yeah emptiness and mm -hmm. and I want to bring more vibrancy and life and excitement and joy to this area yeah I feel like you've impacted me in that way so thank you oh, awesome to hear yeah. always awesome okay so can everyone find you I know it seems like you you're gonna start a blog next right yeah, um, I actually just published my first blog post on Tuesday. Okay, and the website is Weekend Chocolate? pyroclasticchocolate.com, P-Y-R-O-C-L-A-S-T-I-C, chocolate, C-H-O-C-O-L-A-T-E.com. For anyone wondering, pyroclastic refers to stuff that comes out of volcanoes. Um, I live right at the base of Mount Shasta. My big, beautiful volcano is my whole entire skyline. Um, mm -hmm. And it really just, uh, it's mesmerizing and really kind of influences or inspires me to, I don't know, bring beauty into the world. Yeah, there's, I don't know if my blog is linked to that properly or not. Okay. <laughs> uh, I do my own website and all of that as well. And i not 100% confident that I do it well, but I'm working on launching a class on truffle making. Um, so if you click the learn with me tab on my website, um, mm -hmm. you can sign up to get information about that and be on the VIP wait list. And then I'm also on Instagram, pyroclastic underscore chocolate and Facebook and Pinterest, pyroclastic chocolate. Yeah. Awesome. In person, you can find me at all the local farmers markets here. I do Mount Shasta, Dunsmere, and Weed farmers markets, and sometimes Ashland up in Oregon. Um, I'm taking a break from that for an undetermined amount of time um, <laughs> due to babysitting management and uh, <laughs> figuring out who's going to look after my kid at six o'clock in the morning. Right. Anyway, and from time to time, I also have my chocolate in um, shops in the area. The Mossbury Hotel in Dunsmere. I do pop-up shops fairly regularly at Directions in Mount Shasta. Um, and then sometimes I have chocolate at Moonrise Canyon and the Gallery in Mount Shasta. Awesome. Yeah. And when it is cool, I ship chocolate in the United States. Ooh, like cool. October through May, typically. Special time. May gets scary. It's Mother's Day and it's hot. And oh, yeah. Blah. Yeah, it's true. Shipping chocolate is terrifying. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for being on the How You Frame It podcast today. It was lovely having you. Thanks for having me. person for a while but since the pandemic and a lot of things going on I had to settle for this and I am very happy it's not settling it's very valuable and I appreciated my time with her we had both met through our children in um, Mount Shasta through a local kids kind of club event type thing when I first talked to her I felt the sense of oh my gosh this is someone that's super cool that knows a lot about a little bit about everything and a lot about some things and she's so knowledgeable and I just love people who love food and um that's because I do and the way that she enjoys her craft 
her artistry is just inspiring the way that she continues to go on even though that there are people that that don't respect her her resilience and everything that's happened to her and those little snide comments and the fat shaming comments are just horrible to hear about and I am so proud of her for continuing on and I encourage you as listeners to continue on it's hard to sometimes but you know we have to do it we will persevere so thanks becca it was a wonderful tasty episode and i am personally a supporter of becca's chocolate this last christmas i bought like five penguins she she makes penguins chocolate penguins not real penguins she <laughs> she makes chocolate penguins for during the christmas season and they're like these super tall. I want to say like eight inches of chocolate and they have like this splatter of like white chocolate on it. I think it's white chocolate. It kind of looks like it got dusted with snow and then on the inside is just this gourmet mint flavor inside of it and this sort of cream and it's super refreshing and comforting all at the same time. So definitely look out for that during the holiday season and I'm going to be buying more, that's for sure. And also look at her little chocolates. Um, They kind of look, represent mountains in some ways, very abstractly, and I think that's very genius and clever of her. So I'm going to go enjoy some good chocolate today in honor of Becca, and I hope you do too, or whatever your favorite meal is. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the How You Frame It podcast. Again, you can find pictures of Becca on our Instagram, on our Facebook, on our Twitter, and um, you can go on to our email or you can email us at howyouframeit at gmail.com and all our social, social media handles are at howyouframeit. So it's really easy to find us. Go ahead and shoot us a message. Okay. Editing and production help is thanks to Aaron Levine. You can find him on Instagram at aquavado underscore toast. That's the V and C of avocado switched around. And then underscore toast. You can also find him on Twitter at Kobudo Justice. Thanks also to John Bafis for creating our theme music. You can find him at johnbafis.bandcap.com and johnbafis.com. Mm-hmm.